over to Steve. Thanks, guys. Good job, Nat. Thank you very much. All right. Well, hey, guys, welcome, and thank you for being here this morning. Uh, uh, yeah, Jerry and Larry, that was amazing, wasn't it? When they Are they back in here? Are they all in here? I don't know if you're in here. Okay, not yet. When they come back in, we'll give them a round of applause. That was amazing. All right, well, hey, we are, uh, so so Natalie gave a plug for our small groups that are starting in this, this fall, so in a couple of weeks. And this morning is going to be our entry into it. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. Michael, I can't see your lovely face. This is for me, not just for you to see me. Yes, look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter, excuse me, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 10, this week and next week. And the idea is just to build our foundation, to build a foundation for our study in Titus. And the idea of our, of our foundation is this. Everything that we build on is going to basically have its foundation, have its roots in what we're talking about this morning, which is God's grace or the gospel of grace, the good news of grace. And so this morning, uh, we're going to dive into that, look at it, focus on it. And the hope is this, that you begin to grab hold of an understanding of grace, what it is, how it impacts us, how it changes our life, how it becomes the source on everything that we're doing. That's our goal this morning. And so whether you're here, whether you're online, again, Ephesians chapter 2 looking at verses 1 through 10, and then focusing primarily uh, this week and next on verses 9 and 10. But with that intro this morning, I want to say the thing I've been thinking about this week in light of, uh, of our study is the Tower of Babel, the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. Most of you have heard that story, know that story, it may have been a few years. But in this story, you have humanity, they're all speaking the same language, they come together. And we pick it up and it says this in Genesis chapter 11, it says, if as one people, as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this. What were they doing? They were building a, a tower to the heavens, right? They were building a tower to the heavens in their own strengths, basically a picture of them trying to be like God, to attain God. Since so if they had begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. I don't know if you ever thought about that. That's a pretty, pretty incredible endorsement made by the God of all creation, where he comes and talks about humanity and looks at us and says, nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. You see, when God made us, we're the pinnacle of his creation. He said about us, he says, I create humanity, male and female. And what he says, he said, and it is good, right? It is good. He looks at us and, again, gives us this endorsement as human beings that, man, we are, we are defined by ability, by our ingenuity, our, our wisdom, our ability to work together, our ability to make things happen in our own strength. It's a powerful thing that we possess, unlike any other creature in the world, this ability to think, to process, and to make things happen to the point that God says, whatever they put their mind to, it's good, right? It speaks to our, our willpower, our wisdom, our drive, right? The idea that God thinks very highly of you, very highly of me and our abilities. Humanity, in a sense, is very special in how we function. But the problem is, the problem, you all know this, is oftentimes we think too highly of ourselves and our own abilities. We always talk about the fact that our greatest strengths can also be our greatest weaknesses. And so we have this great thought process of self. We really believe in our abilities. And then there are things that happen that are outside of our abilities. Like yesterday, we were at a wedding, and so we're walking through one of those, those food lines, right? One of those food lines that you see kind of similar. Like there's one of those old school, like Sunday Sunday morning potlucks, Sunday morning potlucks. 
potlucks, right? Everybody grabs their plate and they start going and everything just looks so good. Everything just looks so amazing in the moment, right? So they start piling food up and you get like three or four inches tall, right? And you walk by 15 minutes later and what's happened? They're done eating because their stomachs, man, like their stomachs are not as big as their eyes were, right? They have this great mindset of their ability. They just can't finish it and make it happen. That's the nature of life on a much more serious note. Right? We have this idea of life. Our eyes are bigger than our abilities sometimes. And when we talk then about the nature of, of our spiritual life, Old Testament, going into the New Testament, Jesus himself teaches us this reality that, hey, you just cannot save yourself. Like every single human being, no matter how narcissistic they are and believing and trusting in self and making life about themselves, all have moments of recognizing their fragility, of recognizing their inabilities. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but just in your own mind before Jesus, going, yep, that's me, right, would say, yes, even this week there were moments that occurred in my parenting or in my marriage or at my job or in my own mind with things I'm wrestling with. I, I recognize my inabilities. I recognize my fragility. I recognize my weaknesses and the things that I struggle with. Laying in bed late at night, you begin to kind of go through all the things that you wrestle with, and you're just very aware of those broken places. The idea for us is that as great as we may be, that there are these still these places in us of fragility and inability. And specifically in a spiritual sense, you know the story of the Old Testament is a story of humanity, human beings like you and me, not being able to fulfill all the law that God created so we could be perfect enough to, to gain our own salvation and have intimacy with the Father. We all have these moments of struggle. We all have our own weaknesses. And this morning as we sit here, we want to begin with that place on a spiritual level, this understanding that as it relates to our brokenness, as it relates to our sin, as it relates to these pieces, that we just don't have the ability in and of ourselves to bring about salvation to make ourselves good and to make ourselves right in life, no matter how hard we try. And in this, you need help. I need help. And together, we need help. And this help that we need in the spiritual sense isn't just help for our initial moment of salvation, this moment we give our lives to Jesus, but it's something that we need Every day of our life, this understanding of grace, this movement of God every day in our lives to empower us to live the life that he's called us to live. Get your Bibles. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 2, looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. Again, it's going to act as our foundation for our study this morning, to study this fall in Titus. The foundation, again, that we're building is the grace of God, right? The grace of God. I'll read these familiar words to you looking at chapter 2 of Ephesians 1 through 10. It says, as for you, speaking about all of us, excuse me, speaking here to specifically the Gentiles to start off with, he says, you were dead in your transgressions and in your sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
And he says, now all of us, he's speaking about himself and all the Jews he's talking to, lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions or sin. It's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For again, it is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved. I'll say it again, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God, not by works, not by your own actions, your own abilities, so that no one can boast. For we, you, me, are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The overarching um, theme and the overarching story of Ephesians is unique because as as Paul is writing Ephesians, he's not writing to deal with a specific conflict. He's not dealing with some level of heresy. He's not dealing with some sort of competition that's happening among the people. No, it's just a healthy church. It's a healthy people and healthy things are happening. They have been like a fairly healthy marriage of the Gentiles coming in with the Jews and starting the new church together. They're just coming here and doing life together. So in a healthy moment when things are going well, Paul says, I just, I just want to write you a letter because I'm affectionate towards you, right? I want to write a letter to you because I care. I want to, I want to write a letter and just, I want to come in the moment. I want to just remind you of truths. I want to remind you of, of characteristics that define those who are walking in faith and who are walking with Jesus. I want to define some characteristics for you that you need to remember and to be aware of. I've already told you all of these and I'm writing to remind you again and specifically one of the primary things and characteristics he's talking about this morning is the gospel of grace or the the good news right the good news of god's grace in their lives it's a primary characteristic and one we're going to build on for the next ultimate weeks 10 weeks whatever it may be with that in mind this morning i want to break down these verses into three foundational thoughts as we kind of go through the scriptures this morning going through verses one through nine specifically The first thing is this. Paul calls them to remember. Paul calls them to remember. Now, in this memory, right, by human nature, human beings, they move on from past events, right? And they primarily like to live in the moment. Like for those of you who are a little bit older, think back to you. You have, you have memories of maybe kindergarten and elementary school, right? But they're more like fleeting thoughts rather than whole day memories of what happened. But if you spent time as of yesterday, you could probably go back and relive all of yesterday from waking up, brushing your teeth, hopefully by God's grace, right? And then going all the way to the end of the day and then falling asleep late at night, right? You can probably do that, but you can't do that for years ago. The idea for our memories by human nature is that they fade. They oftentimes get crowded out by new memories. And part of this is healthy, is it allows us to focus on the here and the now. But it can be dangerous when we forget who we are or where we came from. We forget the lessons that we were taught in life and we move on and forget them. 
It can be dangerous when we forget the things that are important and that we should remember. Years ago, I was working with a, a pastor. Um, we were, um, we, I didn't work for him, but we were working together. And, and we were sitting down talking one time, and he was a guy who I, like he was, he was older than me. He was probably in his late 50s. He had been in full-time ministry for a long time. He was working at a, at a denominational church. And, and to be honest with you, I mean, like full transparency, I'm not going to name names. I didn't like him very much, if I'm being completely honest, right? Like, is that fair to say? I didn't like him very much. I didn't really like how he thought about church and how he went after things. I, he seemed really political to me, kind of a bureaucrat in the church. He was always kind of, kind of brokering for power. I mean, I'm sure none of you know anybody like that in the church ever in the history of your life. Just kidding, right? Like, he's just one of those people. And, I, and I've really struggled with that. He would say good things with his mouth, but his actions, like, ah, oh, kind of made you a little bit uneasy sometimes in the way he talked and the things that he said, right? One of those guys. And so one day we just happened to be talking about life, and we were talking about some ministry things that, that, that we were talking about doing. And, and I'll never forget, he said, well, yeah, I remember back when I was in my 20s. I mean, we went after some of the same things. We were talking about specifically like ministry to the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed, kind of living missionally as a lifestyle, like in the things that we were giving ourselves to, right? And I said, what do you mean? He starts like walking me through when I gave my life to Christ. And he starts telling me this incredible story of like being white hot in his passion for the Lord, right? Like you know what I'm talking about? Like one of those like, you're like, oh my gosh, I think we could have been friends back then. Not now, but then for sure, right? Like no, he's just so excited. He's like telling me some of his stories and we talking about these moments of faith and like literally taking some homeless people he knew and inviting them to come live in their house with them and the things that they had done. He talked for like 15 minutes and it was so funny because it was like part of him was coming alive. And then all of a sudden, like I'm like getting excited and I asked him a couple of questions and, and then I asked like the questions like, well, what happened? What happened? I wasn't trying to be rude. I just really wanted to know, like, what happened? I didn't say, like, what happened, man? Like, look at you now. I didn't say that. But I was like, man, what happened? And, and he kind of got caught in a sense of, like, his own thoughts going, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, man. I was like, I don't know. And it made me sad because what I realized in that moment was exactly this. Like, he had forgotten He'd forgotten the things he was passionate about. He'd forgotten the things that when he came to Christ and God caused him to come alive in faith and the things that were in the heart of God, like he had grown cold to those things. Do you know anybody like that? Hopefully you're not the person you're thinking about. The white hot passion to honestly forgetting. He just did not remember. Another danger we face and not remembering is, again, we forget the lessons that we learn from, from our past. How many of you have had moments in your life where you said, God, I feel like I'm learning the same lesson over and over and over again, right? It's as if, oh, my gosh, something happens. I learn from it. I keep on. Like two years later, the same thing happens. I have the same response. Like, oh, my gosh, right? And it happens again and again and again and again. And so Paul's coming in the moment and saying to remember, because the idea of remembering, it recenters us. It recenters us, doesn't it? Like when I'm going through life and I start getting distracted and all of a sudden I just start remembering the moment I gave my life to Christ. Or the moment that I, 
I, I expressed love to someone and they responded well. And I'm like, I should just do that again to help maintain and build relationship. Whatever it may be, this power of remembering it then recenters us so often on the things that are important. I've told Tammy, she's sitting here, like she lives in India. She lives in India, is here for a hot minute. But, like, I've told her every time I go to India, like every other year for, since 1999, I said, the reason I'm coming is to remember who I am. Literally. To remember who I am, to remember my passions, and to sit with people that I love, right? All of these kids, sometimes Tammy, but all the kids for sure, right? And just loving on them and listening to their stories and, and just praying together and going after Jesus. I mean, I was like, ha, ah, and I would always come home, record what reinvigorated, like, I remember who I am. That's what we see in verse 1 through 3. Paul is looking back, like he's looking back, right? And he's reminding first the Gentiles in, in verses 1 and 2. He's coming and reminding the Gentiles of their life of sin. He's reminding them of the life that they lived separated from God and, and from the covenant of God. They were remembering how they were just living separated and broken and, and just distant people. And then in verse 3, Paul grafts himself in with all the other Jewish readers and he reminds them, like, hey, yes, they were living over here, but we were, listen, he says, we were gratifying the, the cravings of our flesh. He's just basically saying, we were the exact same. Don't you remember? Don't you remember how far away we were from God? Don't you remember how we couldn't save ourselves? Don't you remember that the very things we wanted to do, those things we did not do? Is this coming? And you can read it. It's really easy language. He's just painting the picture of a life they were living in sin, specifically separated from God. And he's saying, you've got to remember. Don't you remember those moments? Paul needs them to remember who they were apart from Jesus. It recenters them. Like, it recenters them, doesn't it? Think about what it does. I'm just going to, this is not this is in the scripture. I'm just going to throw some things out that remembrance does, I think, for the Jews and the Gentiles in this moment. One, it awakens thankfulness. Oh, God, I do remember that. You remember when we were living like that? And it was terrible, separated. I was like having to work all day long to try to please God. And I would always feel like I was a failure in the moment. I couldn't quite, like always the carrot in front of me. But thankfully, God moved, right? It awakens thankfulness, it awakens gratitude. I'm just so, just gratitude. I'm just so grateful for God. Remembering should always awaken us to humility. The greatest problem in church is we think we need, we know we need God to save us, but we think we can do it from then on. And the idea is if we couldn't save ourselves here, then we can never save us, and we're always in need of a Savior every day. We need His grace. Every day, it awakens us to humility because it says God gives grace to the, God gives grace to the, oh my gosh. God gives grace to the, thank you so much. That was, there you go. And he opposes the proud. Humility is so important. But here's another piece of it. It recenters them on their weakness. Like, it's great how gifted we are and that we, all these things that we can do in our own strength, according to Genesis chapter 11. But one of the greatest gifts we give ourselves every day is say, God, I am weak apart from you. It awakens us to our weakness. These are the things I believe Paul's trying to awaken to. He's trying to awaken them to their inability and their neediness. I don't know about you, but when I remember where I was to where I am, what does it do? It recenters me on worship. 
God, you're so good. Thank you for what you've done, right? God, I was in a bad place when I didn't deserve it. You loved me and you saved me, Jesus. Thank you. Second thing, Paul specifically calls them to remember grace. Paul calls them specifically to remember grace. Adrian Rogers, he's this theologian one time on the screen, says, Grace is more important than love because grace is love in action. Right? Grace is more important than love. Love can be in our head, it can be in our hearts, but never be expressed. But grace is love in action. That's the part that it leaves us to go out. That's the part that grace is more important than love because grace is love in action on the screen. Grace in simple terms, right? Grace in simple terms. You can put it on there. Grace in simple terms is put on the screen there. Thank you very much. God's unearned and undeserved favor. It's unearned. You can't do anything. It's undeserved. Like you haven't done anything to make it worthwhile for him to pour his favor and his blessing and his goodness on you. It's God's unearned empowerment, yes, for salvation and then for daily empowerment. Every day I say, God, I'm going to go about my day, and if you're not with me, I can't make it, right? Daily empowerment also. So simple terms, God's unearned, undeserved favor. It's unearned empowerment for salvation and unearned empowerment for daily empowerment. It's taken from this word, grace is taken from the Greek word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, from which we get the word charity, which we get the word charity. You understand charity? Walking down the road, right, and someone is, like, asking for something from you, right, and they haven't done anything to earn it, nothing deserves, so you give them charity. You give them what they're asking for. What have they done? Absolutely nothing, except you just give it anyway. It's the idea of charity. That's the nature of grace. You couldn't earn it. That's what Paul's trying to create. Remember when you were living in a way that you had not earned anything. You hadn't done anything to deserve anything. God, in his great love, poured himself out and Christ died for you. There's a story. Some of you know this story. Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Back in the 50s, uh, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot called to uh, the Wadani people of Ecuador. And they were going to be missionaries. And you probably know the story. They go. And it's been a long time. The people who were there, literally their nickname were called savages. They were people who just did not like other people. They did not like strangers. White people especially were very strange to them. They'd never seen them before, right? Very, very scary. And so over time, Jim and his team of like four or five other guys and some of the, the families who were there were like trying to reach out, trying to minister, trying to build a relationship. It's a, it's a cool story of how they used airplanes and all this kind of stuff, right? And so they kind of they built a relate like a established a relationship and they're going to have a next day they're going to go and they land their plane uh they fly in like on a creek bed or something like that they land people that they had seen come walking out all of a sudden a group of other people they did not know other men come rushing out run over to jim and all of his people and kill them on the spot kill them on the spot right this was national news. Time Magazine did a big article on it, talking about the missionaries who had died. And to be honest with you, it was one of the great movements, missionary movements of the 50s. Like it was a revival of mission work because they saw the sacrifice of these men, specifically, obviously, in their wives, too, just happened to not be there for the sacrifice of their lives. And people got this on fire for God again and began serving in mission. It was a beautiful picture, except for the families who lost their loved ones. This was overwhelming. Here's the beautiful thing. Two years later, Elizabeth Elliot, Jim's wife, hop on a plane with her daughter, and they go to the Wadani people. 
They go and love on them. They go for the purpose of loving them, being Jesus to them, and to sharing the gospel and being Jesus to them. Moved into their village. And today, still today, there is literally a mission work happening among these people, specifically, primarily because of Elizabeth Elliot. Now, here's the question. What had the Wadani people done to earn the gospel of Jesus that came through Elizabeth and her daughter? Nothing but kill her husband. They hadn't earned it. They didn't deserve it. But she gave it freely because God loved those people. Jim had loved those people, and now she loved those people. That's the nature of grace. It was unearned. It was unearned. It was undeserved. But she expressed it. Jesus met them. It is what Paul is talking about in verses 4 through 9. After making sure his readers remember just how far they had been from God, Paul then turns their memories to the unbelievable work of God to make them alive and reminds them of all the gifts that came along with their salvation. It says, and literally place them in the heavenlies with God. Literally saying, you are now part of our family. You were, you were our people. You were, you were invited in, but we didn't do anything. I know I just love you so much because my love and my mercy, I wanted to do this, right? They were dead. He made them alive because seriously says this because of his great love and his great mercy combined together. That's his grace. His great love and his great mercy they had not earned, they did not deserve. Guys, Paul is having them stop and fully remember their stories. He wants them to remember the bad and the ugly of their lives, where they came from. He wants them to remember the good and the great of what God had done in their lives. We remember, but in remembering, we then remember the work of God to save. And the third thing is Paul longs for them to live in grace and to live by grace. I want you to look at these two interesting verses uh, from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. You put them on the screen for me. It says this, in God. And God raised up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Lots of theology there, right? But it basically it's talking about the ideas like I've placed you in my family. Will you spend eternity with me forever in order that? So he plays us and he seats us. He raises us up with Christ. He seats us with Christ in order that in the coming ages, God, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The interesting about coming age, the coming age in, in Ephesians 2 in the language, it's not talking about only heaven. That's not the primary language of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. Instead, what he's talking about in the picture actually is the picture of like waves that, that come and recede and then waves come again, recede, and then waves keep on coming, right? The idea of like wave after wave after wave after wave, right? The language of this verse is speaking about the nature of a daily life that we live, expressing the grace of God like waves every day. I express God's grace, I go to sleep. I express God's grace, I go to sleep. I express the work of God in my life, I'll do it so that people... 
people then every single day in every age after my salvation will then watch me experience and express grace so that in every coming age from the moment I give my life to Jesus and when they experience me, they will then experience the kindness of Jesus that will then woo them to Jesus through the grace I've experienced. It's a powerful picture here. Read it again. And God raised us up. He did this work. He seated us with him, put us in his family, so that in all the coming ages since the moment you gave your life to Jesus, he's been showing the incomparable riches of his grace, expressing the kindness to us through Jesus so that everyone around us can see. It's a beautiful expression of how the grace Listen, it affects us, but it affects others. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture. Therefore, there are two pieces Paul is leading his readers to to embrace. These two pieces, I think, are the heart of his grace of message. Number one, grace empowers you for you. Grace empowers you for you. It's for you. God pours out grace to save you. He pours out grace daily that you haven't earned to save you every day. Look at Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 through 13, super clear. I love Bible verses. It is super clear. It says, for the grace of God, we are the unearned, undeserved favor of the Lord that he pours out on us, has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now look at this verse 12. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to say no to worldly passions, to, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. What's the blessed hope? It's the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. What's it saying here? Yes, he saves you, but then grace, his undeserved favor, his power to enable you is moving every single day because you can't live today or tomorrow or any day ahead of you apart from Jesus and win, quote unquote. Right? He's saying it's by grace that you can say no to ungodliness. It's by grace that you can say no to worldly passions. It's by grace that you can live self-controlled. It's by grace you can live upright. And it's by grace that godly lives are possible in this present age. The second piece, grace empowers you for others. It empowers you for others. Again, that's the essence of verse 7. You experience, listen, you experience the grace of God. You experience the ongoing active love of God fighting for you. The ongoing active love from God empowering you. The, un, this, the active love of God giving you power to save you daily so that the coming ages can see it and be drawn We've been talking about mission for the last couple of weeks, right? Let me tell you something. You, my friends, are horrible missionaries in your own strength. Apart from the grace of God and living every day remembering, oh my gosh, I'm so needy today. Again, (laughs) I'm just living in this humility that I have nothing good and the value to offer anybody to lead them to Jesus. But I will submit again today to the power of God, the grace of God in my life. Say, It's all about you, Jesus. Just do you through me. Just do you through me. And all of a sudden, I become a great missionary. Why? Because when people see me, they see the mercy and they see the kindness and the goodness of a God who wooing them to himself through you. So what do you have to do? Just get out of the way. Say, Jesus, do you. 
Live every day remembering your inability. I think Paul would have probably said, yeah, yeah, just wake up every day and remember how you started. And remember your worthlessness. And remember how I saved you because I loved you. And then remember that I put you in my family so you can't brag about it to anybody. You can't claim to be better. You can say, you want to come too? The grace of God's available. is unearned favor. He just wants to give charity to you. All you got to do is by faith believe he is the one who saves. The picture I had in this, this is a really lame picture, so maybe it's for somebody because it makes sense for you. Like I had a picture of a lamp, right? I had a picture of a lamp. And so uh, you create this lamp, and the lamp is completely worthless. It's sitting there, right? You can turn it on, the switch, but it doesn't turn on, right? It's just sitting there. It's just kind of a worthless piece of hardware just sitting there in the moment, right? Until all of a sudden you put it in the on position, then what do you do? You plug it into grace. You plug, you plug it into the outlet, the power. And all of a sudden you plug that into something that went from being useless, all of a sudden becomes a light to shine in darkness so that others can see and so that others who are in darkness can be drawn to it to a safe place. That's the nature you have to live your life saying, God, I am a useless piece of hardware apart from me being plugged into your power. But once I'm plugged in, Jesus, just come and shine through me, please. That's the picture. Hopefully that's helpful for somebody. If it's not, great. That's fucking great. Thank you. You win, Pat. All right. God's spirit is continually giving us the grace, the grace, the the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I'm going to say that again. This is really important. God, I don't feel like following you today. But by grace, would you empower me to follow you? There's a beautiful piece here. Even your desire to follow Jesus is not your own ability God's Spirit's continually giving us the grace, the desire to please Him, the power to please Him. God's grace is the only power that enables us every day to live lives victorious in Christ, right? To conquer sin, to live victorious. It's God's grace that saved us, and every day it's God's grace that's continually saving you and empowering you and causing you to shine every day. It is God's grace that allows us to be effective in fulfilling verse 10 of Ephesians 2. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here's the point. Most American Christians, probably most Christians across the world, love verse 10. Oh my gosh, I can just go do good work for God. I can find value. I can do something that has credibility, something that's like, oh, it's just for me to do. This is so great. He thought about me in advance before I was even born to do things. That I could do things. He's, oh, wait, 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 wait. Make sure you lean into verse 9 first. Make sure you recognize that you're not worth anything. Make sure you remember that you're living in absolute spiritual poverty apart from God. Make sure you recognize there's nothing in you that gives you the ability to make anything of value happen to even the desire to do good. You can't. Ah, but grace is present, my friend. And when grace is present, you submit yourself to it, then you will join God in the works that he's created. In partnering together, you will shine for the world to see. Going to ministry time this morning, you can go ahead and come forward.
I want you to take a deep breath real quick. Primarily, we hear about the message of grace for, quote-unquote, our salvation, that moment we first give our lives to Jesus, and that's good and right. But the part we don't necessarily tap into is understand that grace is available and actually necessary every day for the life that you're living at work. As a parent. As a spouse. Maybe even more importantly, the life, the secret life that you live just by yourself when no one else is around and in your own head. In Romans, Paul says, oh, the, the things I want to do, those things I don't do, the very things I don't want to do, that's what I do. Who can save me from this life of sin? And what does he say? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus, his grace, his work, his power. This morning, go ahead and close your, your eyes if you don't mind, just so you can focus. We want God's grace to be awakened. Ask God to, even by grace, to awaken you to remembrance. The way I picture is I'm always kind of walking with Jesus and in my mind, like if I sit down to be with him, he and I are sitting down together and we're having this dialogue, this conversation, right? I'm speaking, listening. He's, I'm listening for him to speak. And, and I would say, God, would you, would you give me grace? Would you help me just to remember who I am apart from you? Some of you, again, this, this morning need to be awakened to remember God, just remind me, God, of who I was. Remember, help me remember that moment when my faith was, was most alive. Help me remember, God, the, the commitments that I made to you 30 years ago to give you everything in my life and to walk away from a life of sin. God, help me remember the, the covenant that I've made, you've made with you and you've made with me. God, help me remember exactly who I am in my brokenness. The moment, Lord, when I was most aware of my need, God, help me remember, awaken me to it again, God. Some of you this morning just to live in a place of remembrance. If you don't remember, call somebody who does. Call somebody who was there. This morning is a time of remembrance. Second, I, 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 you, you can't awaken grace in yourself. This morning, I want to invite all of you, as we are in ministry time, even come forward to get prayer for it. God, just pray this for God. Would you awaken grace, an understanding of it, got a conviction of it, got a, an awakening, Father, to true humility, true thankfulness. God, would you awaken an understanding of grace? I get it with my head, Lord, but I pray that 10 inches between head and heart that you would make that work happen to connect the two so I could come alive to it, Jesus. I want to live with this conviction like Paul had of grace.
This morning, I would just invite you. That's why I mean to be honest with you. John Wesley once said, he said, wherever it says grace, you can just, you can literally just take it and put Holy Spirit there. It's almost like a synonym here. And I believe there's a level, a great level of truth in that, that we're saying, I need grace. I need the Holy Spirit to awaken me and the Holy Spirit to empower. This morning, I just invite you to come forward to get prayer. For whatever's going on in your life, we need God for breakthrough. We have ministry teams. You guys can go ahead and come forward. to be available to pray for you about anything going on in life, praying for breakthrough, praying for awakening. But would you allow, and then would you invite and then allow God to do this work of awakening and stirring inside of you this morning? So you respond as the Lord leads our we have communion available every week. It's the message of the good news of Jesus. And as we take it, there's a grace that occurs to awaken us to the message of what we're talking about this morning. This is the good news of his grace, that when we were yet still sinners, Christ came and he died and had his body broken for us and his blood poured out. Come this morning and say, God, as I take communion, would you awaken me to the grace that's present in it, God, to cause me to come alive to who you are in your fullness. So responds the Lord leads. I'll come close us out in a few minutes.